0: All you poor workers, good news to you. I'll tell how they good old man
2: If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, privatizers are coming for the VA. The ACLU is fighting for free speech in Florence. The machinists in Decatur end their bargaining with the United Launch Alliance and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number and the line... Is open. You can call or text 844 899 TVLR. That is 844 899 8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week and we might answer it on the next show if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week you can find us online we are everywhere you can find anything online all at the valley labor report i'm talking youtube i'm talking wherever you find your podcasts i'm talking facebook twitter all of it all at the valley labor report just a reminder your support helps us stay on the air Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. You can support the program and become a one-time donor or a recurring donor at tvlr.fm. That is tvlr.fm. We've also got a hat that should be shipping out next week. There was a production delay. We were hoping that the hat would be in our hands by now, but... um, These are the times that we're living in. There was a production delay, and uh, I talked to the print shop yesterday, spoke to them on the phone, and they said that the hat should be at their facility today. Should be at their facility today. They will be attaching, uh, they'll be putting the patch on it and shipping it out next week. So if you haven't ordered your hat, um, then. You're going to want to do that if you want to get it as soon as possible. We've got, uh, we bought several extra just in case. But uh, to get your hat as soon as possible, then you're going to need to order it tonight. That way, it can ship directly from the um, directly from the facility because I'll be sending them the addresses. Um, if you don't order it tonight, that's fine. You'll still be able to get it. Uh, it'll just be a little bit later because I will have to ship it instead of the people at the facility. So. You can do that at tvlr.fm. You can go to our store there. Uh, And if you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to me for more details on that. So, uh... Let's go ahead and jump into the first topic of today's show. Privatizers are still coming for the VA, even under the Biden administration. The most recent fight stems from a 2018 law passed under Trump called the Mission Act. And here to explain the situation to us, we've got Daniel Horowitz. He is deputy director for the legislative department of the American Federation of Government Employees, a sponsor of the show. Daniel, welcome to the Valley Labor Report.
3: Hi, Jacob. Thanks for
2: having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. We appreciate your time. So let's start with this. Uh, The VA has made recommendations to the still-to-be-confirmed Asset and Infrastructure Review, the Air Commission. Um, We'll talk more about why the VA is making these recommendations. Um, We'll talk about the Air Commission. We'll talk about that later. But the controversy is surrounding the recommendations themselves. So, Daniel, let's talk about That for let's start with that. What are the recommendations that the VA is making?
3: Well, a lot of people thought under the Biden administration, the VA would get more favorable treatment than it has in the past. But unfortunately, that is not looking to be the case. And these recommendations to uh, the Air Commission, as you mentioned, would call for the complete closure of about 20 VA medical centers around the country as well as outsourcing a number of other services in smaller clinics. So it's really another and potentially catastrophic step in the privatization and dismantling of the VA, which is really the crown jewel of our country's public health care system for veterans.
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, the 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 fight to privatize the VA, um, that has been going on for a very, a very long time. And and like you said, I think that there was definitely a, there was a feeling among advocates of the VA that, that at least for the, (laughs) for the duration of the Biden administration, this would be put on hiatus. And unfortunately, that's not, uh, that's not been the effect. How is, uh, how is Alabama going to be affected?
3: Well, it's fortunate in a sense that, the VA expects the veteran population in Alabama to increase. And for that reason, they're not calling for wholesale closure of any medical centers in Alabama. But it really gets to a fatal flaw in the law itself. It creates this fast-track mechanism for closing medical centers, but it doesn't have any new funding for constructing new ones. So even as we dig down into the Alabama report, There's a call for closing the Birmingham Medical Center and replacing it with a new facility. But any new construction under this law is going to need a future appropriation from Congress. But once a closure has been approved, the closure must start to go into effect within three years. So that's a real problem. And even in states where they are not as hard hit, we don't know how that will play out. And we are extremely concerned.
2: Wow. I, that, yeah, that, so the closure is basically that is slated and that is not dependent on future appropriations, but any actual modernization, any actual, um, construction, that was not allotted in the, in the Mission Act in 2018. And so that's dependent on future Congresses. What about in places where there aren't, uh, where, where there isn't even recommendations to rebuild? to tear down and then rebuild a facility, but that the facility is 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 to stay there. Are there still aspects of privatization that are that are slated to come to facilities that are going to remain?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's a huge problem. So in addition to closing these approximately twenty medical centers wholesale, what the VA is proposing to do is to privatize services at about 40 other medical centers. So often what we'll see is this hollowing out of the services. So right now they may have full service, they may have emergency departments, inpatient medical, inpatient surgical rehab programs. And a lot of those will be closed and turned over to the private sector. In some cases, veterans will be sent hundreds of miles away to receive care at another VA or they may just be sent out into the private sector, and that is also a problem because, frankly, nobody knows how much private sector care is really available, especially after COVID. And mm. uh, even before COVID, the situation was pretty dire in many cases, and it's worse now.
2: Right. The the, the what you mentioned about not knowing. The private care that is available during COVID is very important because the recommendations that the VA is making is based entirely on information that was collected before COVID on the availability of private care. and. Even if we didn't have this pandemic that totally kind of rocked the healthcare system, uh, you know, we we would be opposing privatization, and we'll talk more about why. Just generally speaking, privatization is bad. But in this specific instance, they're making these recommendations on the assumption that care, the availability of care, is going to be exactly the same as it was before the largest pandemic in the history of the world in a hundred years. So, you know, talk to us about the disconnect there and why it's an issue to make such large recommendations based on uh, obsolete data.
3: Yeah, so we've just lived through this huge pandemic. Hopefully it's winding down now. What we saw all around the country is there weren't enough hospital beds patients who are being seen out in in corridors. Actually, the VA had to step up under its fourth mission and treat members of the public during COVID to save their lives. So is this really the time where we wanna come back after COVID and further cut hospital beds after what we've just seen? That just seems like terrible public policy. But let's look at what VA did here. The law goes into effect in 2018 and The VA starts what they call their market assessments. They collect all their data before COVID, look at what they say is the availability of of private care, and we can talk later why that's still a problem, but they look at the availability. They base their recommendations on that. We all know what's happened in healthcare. There are huge backlogs. There are shortages of doctors, nurses, and other providers across the whole system, both private and public, and yet why now come back and base these closure recommendations on data uh, formed before the pandemic. It doesn't make any sense. And that's not just me saying it. The GAO, which is an arm of Congress, the Government Accountability Office, looked at this as recently as February. And they looked in detail at the market assessments that VA had done. And what they found is they're all old, all the data are old and VA really has no handle On the cost or on the availability or the quality of the private care that they say will replace the VA facilities.
2: Right, right. And so let's let's talk about the private care versus the care that you get in VA facilities, because essentially what. What this would amount to is is a sort of voucher program for in in places where you're talking about uh, closing facilities, the 20 facilities that are going to be closed wholesale in the instances of specific services being privatized, um, being removed from remaining facilities. What you're what what's going to be happening is veterans will be forced into the private sector. Um, with the VA footing the bill for private care, and this is this is this is bad in in two ways: the quality of the care and the cost of the care. Obviously, the quality of the care is is the most important thing, but the cost of the care isn't nothing. So, talk to us about the the. What is the consensus on the quality and cost of care for veterans in the VA versus the private health care system? Because if you're a listener on WVNN, for instance, um, this is we're live right now on a conservative talk radio station. And we just went through three months of propaganda from the privatization lobby about education, talking about how education would be so much better if only we put more money in the hands of <laughs> of charter school CEOs instead of funding and building up our public education system. This is something that they've been beating the drum on for the entire legislative session. And, and so there are going to be a lot of people in the audience that are thinking, oh, privatizing the VA, that sounds great. But that is simply... That's simply not good. It's not good for veterans. It's not good for the workers at the VA and it's not good for the taxpayers. So let's talk about the, the effect that it's going to have on veterans and the taxpayer.
3: Yeah. Let's start right there with the taxpayers, because something I think people agree with whether they're liberal or conservative is we want to conserve taxpayer resources. So let's look at what the VA provides versus what the private sector can provide. And, Stanford University, there's just been a huge study of this, where they looked at the population of older veterans who go to the VA for emergency care. And what they found was absolutely striking. They found that older veterans, hundreds of thousands of them who went to VA hospitals were 46% less likely to die in VA care than if they went to the private sector. And they found that the cost was 21% less in the VA And and some of the reasons of this are pretty clear. The VA is very expert at treating the conditions of veterans. They've been doing it for decades. And the care is integrated. Veterans can get all their care under one roof and the care is responsibly administered. In private sectors, the private sector providers are driven by the profit motive, all sorts of unnecessary and, and arguably useless procedures occur. They make these hospitals look more productive on paper but it doesn't show in the outcomes. The outcomes are worse. And we know that the private sector beyond that, Rand has looked at this, the vast majority of private doctors and facilities are not prepared to treat veterans as effectively. Only 2% have the requisite uh, training and skills uh, to treat veterans. So we know this is bad public policy. It's gonna hurt veterans. Taxpayers are on the hook either way, whether the veterans go to the VA, or to the private sector where will they get the best outcomes at the least cost we know that's the va it's been known for years
2: right and and not only i mean there's just so much information and and despite and and this is despite the constant constant attacks on the va and there and there are you know we can point to issues and we can point to real issues and we can point to real ways that we can make the va better For veterans, Um, but despite those issues, having significantly, I mean, uh, markedly better outcomes for veterans than in the private sector, being markedly cheaper for veterans than private sector care, and being, um, and and, and veterans, and and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting like four or five seconds delay in my headphones okay it's gone now i don't know i'm, I'm sorry i, I got <laughs> i got distracted um and and the and, and veterans express more uh they're more happy with the va than other people are with their private care i mean poll after poll after poll shows that veterans are extremely happy with the health care that they receive at the va
3: well that's absolutely right and the mission of the VA, we have to remember, VA has multiple missions beyond serving veterans, which they do better than anybody in the country. But part of the, part of their mission is to train future doctors who serve not only in the VA, but in all the private sector. Something like 60% of U.S. doctors get training from within VA hospitals. If we close hospitals and if we close inpatient services, that training is not going to occur. So mm-hmm. there are multiple reasons why why VA needs to stay a, 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 and even and even grow in, in the current environment. You know, and the other point you, you mentioned, uh, veterans prefer the VA. Uh, so much of the debate over recent years has been about choice, giving veterans choice of care. Well, what's happening now with this air commission is not about giving veterans choice, it's about taking away choice. Hmm. It's about taking away the choice to go to a VA facility and forcing veterans into private sector, whether that's available or not. you know, One of the benefits of being in VA, if you're a veteran, is that the billing is handled by VA. You may have to pay nothing. You may have to pay a a small co-payment, but if you're out in the private sector, who knows what happens? You may be billed directly. If you can't pay, it may ruin your credit rating, all sorts of things that those of us on the private side are familiar with, that's what veterans will be inherited inheriting if they're forced out into private care
2: right right yeah that and that's that is the va that's that's such a great point to emphasize that the 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 conversation is constantly constantly when we're talking about the the code word for privatization is always choice it's always choice which is nonsense and this is specifically recommending getting rid of the preferred choice of veterans. Veterans prefer the VA. In poll after poll after poll, it is shown that they prefer the care of the VA. And this re- th- these recommendations would... Take away twenty facilities I mean that's like that's like 5, twelve to fifteen percent of the facilities in the country are going to be taken away, and services at remaining facilities are going to be privatized and we're getting some pushback right now on twitter we've got somebody saying you're comparing VA with private health care. Do you not know the history of the abysmal, incompetent VA hospital treatment of veterans and i mean this is this is exactly what I 'm talking about, Daniel. I mean people have been their brains have been pumped. With all this propaganda, some of it is based on anecdotes of real, real issues, but some of it is made up out of whole cloth. And it's left people with the impression that VA care is worse than than private care. And that's simply not true.
3: The VA has been the victim, unfortunately, of a very well-funded smear campaign over the years uh, to, to publicize waiting times, other things. But who's looking at the waiting times and or the costs in the private sector? Uh, right. Where where's the real comparison here? We know vets uh, prefer vet, the care within the VA. So I wonder if the commenter on on Twitter is a veteran. I ha- I have no idea. But we know that veterans prefer that. And the fact is, under all the recent laws, veterans do have choices if they want them. Most of them still want to go to the VA where they can. And and. One of the benefits of working at AFGE is we work with locals all around the country. And I met with one of the local officers from West Virginia, from the medical center in Clarksburg, which is slated to be completely downsized. And he had worked as a VA policeman there. And what he said is that it happened on more than one occasion that veterans who were either dying or were critically ill had driven to that hospital and had driven past other private sector hospitals that were closer because even though they were dying, they only wanted to be treated at VA because that's where they were respected and that's Mm -hmm. where they got the best care.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such an amazing testimony. And just tell us that the, the, the data that you said earlier about the health outcomes, because I, I want to, I do want to emphasize that because the, the, the impression is that VA care is worse, but the the overwhelming data shows that that's simply not true. Can you tell us what, what, what you said earlier about, um, about mortality rates and, and care at the VA?
3: Many groups have looked at this. Stanford's looked at it, 46% lower mortality for veterans that are seen at the VA, lower costs.
2: lower mortality. 46%.
3: And that's a very large study involving hundreds of thousands of veterans. And Rand has looked at this. They compared side by side, VA hospitals versus non-VA. Same story. Better outcomes at the VA. Veterans, you have to remember, have more morbidities, more illnesses than the general population. Uh, right. because of their service, because of their injuries. And the doctors and care providers at the VA specialize in this. VA veterans are already feeling pushed out into the private sector by the Mission Act. Costs are skyrocketing, and this air commission process is just going to make it so much worse.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I think that's that. That's so important. And and obviously, you know, so the a big part about of, of this is – What is it going to do for veterans? But obviously, this is going to be bad for the workers at the VA as well. And it should be noted that the VA is the largest employer of veterans in the country, right?
3: Yeah, a third of the workers in the VA VA are veterans themselves who dedicated their careers to caring for other veterans. That's good for the veterans who work there. It's also good for the veterans who receive care because they understand the problems of veterans. Both the doctors okay. and, and the other staff. The other thing that's important to remember about VA healthcare is that there's coordination of benefits. How many of us have struggled on the private side working through multiple insurance companies and maybe in the end end up with a surprise medical bill anyway? Well, within the VA, all the care is coordinated. All the records are shared. It's just a more positive experience. And the proof is in the pudding. It leads to better outcome.
2: Right, right, and so this is all happening because of a bill of, because of a law that was passed under the Trump administration called the Mission Act. Talk to us about the I, I just I was I was flummoxed when you when we were talking last week um about the mechanics of the implementation of these recommendations because it is totally broken it the i mean the law was designed with the with the express purpose it seems like of privatizing the VA it was not if you look at the way that these recommendations are slated to be implemented there was it was not It it was not like, okay, Congress is going to see if these recommendations make the most sense. There was not deliberate. Just talk to us about the broken process for the implementation of these recommendations.
3: It's beyond broken. This is a law that's designed to take a wrecking ball to the VA. So look at how this works. The advocates of this law looked at how the military went around closing bases after the cold war and it was called base reduction and it created a fast track procedure for closing bases all around the country and for the most part they were never they were never replaced but at least in that case some of the military needs were going down as a result of the end of the cold war but 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 look at it like transferred into the healthcare context so the VA has years to cook up these recommendations They're working with private equity-backed management consultants with ties to the private sector who work on these market assessments and recommendations. They come out with these recommendations. They go to an air commission, asset and infrastructure review commission, that's unpaid, that has nine members. And those members, by law, several of them need to represent the private sector health interests but nobody represents labor and no no healthcare professionals are required to be there so i think you can see where this This is is going um and we know a lot of the nominees have deep ties to privatization to to contractors who profit off the va already it goes to this commission they have barely a few months a tiny budget they're unpaid and their staff Get this by va itself they look at these recommendations and the burden of proof is on this poorly funded commission to try to change anything they don't like if they don't they have a few weeks to do that then those recommendations go to the president if the president on the advice of the va secretary sends the recommendations to congress all congress can do is vote to disapprove they have a few weeks to mount in both houses a motion to disapprove these recommendations. If that does not occur, they, can only, they can't amend them. They can't put anything back. All they can do is vote up or down. If they do nothing, the recommendations go into effect automatically, and the law requires the VA secretary to start closing facility. So that's that's what we're up against here, and it's yeah, a very and this strong
2: – Yeah, go ahead. And, and it, it requires the closures – but there is no mechanism to implement the modernization and rebuilding <laughs> because the because the funds for that are not appropriated. So the only th- I mean it's it's just it's astounding. This law sets up an an automatic an automatic um process for closing and privatizing services without and that's supposedly only part of this Of the Mission Act, that's supposedly supposed to only be part of it, is part of these recommendations, is the privatization and the closures. Part of it is also supposed to be the modernization, but the things that are actually going to help veterans, the modernization, rebuilding, all of this stuff, that takes future appropriations no future appropriations are required for the things that are going to take choices away from veterans that is going to take care away from veterans that is going to further flood the private market nothing else is required for that but the things that are going to help veterans you have to pass another law it's just astounding yeah it is astounding uh
3: the appropriations aren't there the closures are going to go forward you know, the VA secretary has gone around and said, well, what are you worrying about? We're only closing three hospitals. Well, that's completely wrong. They're closing 20. They're privatizing services and 40 more approximately. And there's no money to build any new ones. So he's talking about building new ones based on money that he doesn't have. He, he's basically writing a hot check to the veterans around the country. And who knows if that check will ever be covered by future Congresses.
2: Right. Yeah. I would never, I would never, never want to bank anything, certainly not my life, on the idea that Congress is going to pass a good bill. <laughs> like, I mean, because that's that is what you are asking veterans to do in places where in in the 12 to 15% of healthcare facilities of VA healthcare facilities that are going to be closed down wholesale and in the others that are going to lose services what you are asking veterans to do is to bank on the fact bank on the hope bank their lives on that that a future congress is going to invest in modernization and rebuilding that is i would not want to do that I mean, it's just, it, it, it's astounding. So, very bleak picture. How can it be stopped?
3: Well, the first thing that needs to happen is not to confirm the air commission. There are eight nominees out there, and some of them are known privatization advocates. But if there's no commission, the process stops. And while that's not a perfect solution, it's the best solution to this train wreck of a law that we have don't confirm the commission. Tell your senators, don't confirm the commissioners. No commission, no closures. The next thing we have to do is repeal the section of the Mission Act that creates this air commission. Uh, There was a bill to do it in 2019. Senator Manchin, Senator Rounds, bipartisan members of the Senate proposed, "Just, just get rid of this air commission. It's going to harm veterans, especially in rural areas. And that's exactly what it's done. It was very prescient. So we need to repeal that section of law. But the other thing we need to do is we need to fund modernization of veterans health centers. We need to put money into the system. And if we put in the investments, we'll get better outcomes at lower costs in the future for veterans. And that's everyone's goal. The other thing is Congress, even while this is going on, Congress is looking at the victims of burn pits from recent wars, you know, overseas where munitions were disposed and there are 3 million victims of burn pits who are poised to join the VA system if these laws pass. So that would add another third onto the number of veterans who need care. So we need to be expanding the system. We need to be funding it through appropriations. We don't need to be closing facilities, but the first step is stop the commission. Don't put anybody on it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, Great points. And and you said that Joe Manchin has introduced or will introduce a bill to repeal the section of the Mission Act that is going to be – that would do this, right?
3: He introduced it in a prior Congress. We're working. Uh, he said a few days ago he would reintroduce it. So Godspeed. We hope he does it.
2: Right. Right. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate it. And, and I want to leave, uh, we'll, we'll leave on, on this just one more reemphasis on the care. Cause we're getting another, we, we usually, we don't get, <laughs> we don't get it. We generally don't get as much pushback on this, but we've got it. We got an email from a veteran just now, um, who said that he couldn't disagree more with our comments, that he's had a ton of issues. Um, and he got on his wife's health insurance so that he could get a better doctor. Um, and you know wait times are bad and things like this and and lo- and we have not tried to invalidate individual issues that veterans may or may not have with the VA we recognize that those issues exist but the data is out there about the overall the overall effect of the the, the overall outcomes of the VA are better, you know, regardless of whatever anecdotes there exist out there and I don't doubt them in the same way that that I don't doubt any any anecdote about anything, right? I mean there's there's all sorts of good things that you can have bad anecdotes about, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't refute the whole the whole of the information that we have out there. Which is that veteran care that that cares that veteran that care that veterans get at the VA is better than the private sector on the whole. And where it's not, you don't make it better by disinvesting in it. Where care at the VA is not as good as you get in the private sector, you don't make it better. You don't make it match the private sector by eliminating the option totally. Right? Because what we are talking about is eliminating the choice of veterans to use the VA in places where, They want to. And that's that is the crux of the matter. We believe that veterans should have at least the option to go to the VA where the data shows that they're going to get better care and where poll after poll shows they want to go. And this is not what this bill is going to do. And I appreciate your email. Uh, James from Huntsville, I do. I appreciate it, and I appreciate your contribution, and I appreciate that your story is real. Like I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. But this isn't the way to make it better. All right, Daniel. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add on that?
3: This is a, a bad law that needs to be stopped. And you know, to your, to your veteran who emailed, thanks for your service. Please don't deny choice to other veterans who prefer the VA and uh, let's go from there. I think lots of veterans who have spinal injuries, have all kinds of specialized care needs, only wanna be seen at the VA. Let's give them that choice. Let's not make them drive hours to private care, fight against bill collectors for months afterwards. That's not the system that veterans have earned through their service.
2: Yep. Daniel, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. All right, folks. We've been talking to Daniel Horowitz. He is the Deputy Director of the Legislative Department for the American Federation of Government Employees. Um, really, really good information. A great breakdown of the law, of how, <laughs> how broken it's, its implementation is. Um just just really, really great. I, I, and I appreciate his time, and I appreciate AFGE for sponsoring the show. So we've got we've got an audience in the Florence, Tuscumbia, Muscle Shoals area. Thank you to the Soul of the Shoals, WZZA, where we broadcast on Tuesday afternoons. Um, and we got some news out of there last week. We got some news out of there last week. The Alabama chapter of the National Lawyers Guild the ACLU of Alabama and the First Amendment Clinic at Duke University School of Law filed suit on Monday evening last week against the city of Florence and its chief of police, Ron Tyler, asserting that they used the city's parade permit and noise ordinances to discourage protesters from exercising their First Amendment rights. Um, So, I mean, this uh, this is just, it seems like, Every single week, every single week, we're coming to y'all with yet another story about free speech in this country and about how the free speech fight is not on Twitter, or at least not primarily or only on Twitter. If you listen to some people, that's where you would think the only free speech fight in the country is right now is on social media and whether or not people can like say the n-word in their twitter posts but week after week after week we are coming to you with stories of legitimate government the first amendment is is i mean look uh, we can have opinions about what twitter shouldn't shouldn't be doing and about what the government should and shouldn't do about twitter i think i actually I tend to agree more with conservatives on what, on that Twitter, it is bad that Twitter is so censorious. I think that I, I tend to agree more with people who have an issue with that. I would le- I would lean towards more speech, and I would lean towards a marketplace of ideas, right? That's, that is my predisposition, and so I am inclined... To agree with people who say that there's a problem with Twitter and a problem with Facebook, and especially that they have s- that the, the, uh, there is a problem with their control over the discourse, with the fact that billionaires are totally unaccountable to the public, and who are totally unaccountable to the public have such a huge outweighed control over the discourse i think that's an issue and i think and i don't think it's unreasonable that that we should think about ways that the government should address that but what i have an issue with is people that think that is the only thing because we're coming to you i mean seriously week after week after week where the government is telling people what and when and how and how many and how loud they can or can't speak or assemble We're coming to you week after week with stories of bosses threatening people with homelessness by firing them for their speech, for their protected, concerted activity. You are foolish and you are being deceived if you believe that the primary primary fight about free speech in this country is on Twitter since at least June of 2020. Going back to this story, since at least June of 2020, protesters with local organization Project Say Something have engaged in peaceful demonstrations and other political activity, protesting a Confederate monument located in front of the Lauderdale County Courthouse. Then, following the murder murder of George Floyd, Project Say Something continued to demonstrate, ultimately protesting approximately 160 to 175 times before the end of 2020. There were... No documented incidences of violence or obstruction by projects say something at any of these 100 plus demonstrations. Nevertheless, in 2021, Chief of Police Tyler began conditioning permits on payment for unexplained police protection fees, threatening citations relocating protests to locations with less visibility and ignoring real threats and harassment from counter protesters who were not subjected to the same scrutiny. In their press release, the Alabama ACLU asserted that city law enforcement officers have have applied the parade and noise ordinances in inconsistent arbitrary and discriminatory ways, which led to a significant decrease in the number of demonstrations organized by Project Say Something, particularly near the courthouse where the Confederate monument is located. In fact, city officers have applied the noise ordinance so broadly as to even include unamplified human voices resulting in protesters engaging in at least 10 silent protests to avoid retribution from the Florence police officers if they vocally protested in their intended location. This happened a week ago. um, And. I would be interested, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR, again, that phone number is 844-899-8857. I would be interested if anybody has heard about this on their Free Speech Warrior of Choice, from their Free Speech Warrior of Choice. I would be interested. Let me know, 844-899-TVLR, if there have actually been people siding with the aclu in this free speech fight against the government that would be interesting we're going to take a quick break don't go anywhere on the other side we are talking about bargaining updates with the decatur machinists union we'll be right back If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report.
1: IBW 558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice.
2: Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is, and to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state, and they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation
3: of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting
2: www.ifpte.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 Nine three three three. Let Maples Tucker and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number eight five five six one seven nine three three three. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms attention union members podcasters members of membership organizations the future is here and you need to be prepared for it by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or other organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. You'll also be able to use a union-friendly organization. We use Unionly here at the Valley Labor Report, and they have been very great to us. Their fees are lower than Patreons, actually. They set up a great store. It's all extremely user-friendly, easy to use. So, folks, if this is something that your organization or you as an individual are needing, if you're needing a way to regularly collect dues from members or supporters of your organization, if you want to set up an online store, then you should start preparing for the future by calling today, 206 595 8631. Again, that phone number is 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. That website is unionly.io. Support
0: for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, local 136 out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Come on, you poor workers. Do you I'll tell
2: how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you have anything to add, you can give us a call. The phone line is open, eight four four eight nine nine tvlr 844 8857 You can also send us a text. You can tweet us at Labor Reporters, or you could find our website and send us an email, tvlr.fm. We love the feedback. We love it. Give us all of your feedback, especially positive. I love to be complimented. So uh, we've got late breaking and local news up right now. The Machinists' Union Local Lodge 44 indicator may not be headed for a strike they may not be headed for a strike a strike looked imminent as recently as Thursday morning negotiations were going so poorly and the sides were so far apart that the local had already opened up picket line shifts and within three hours within three hours of posting the picket line shifts up online there were dozens of shifts already volunteered for so people were unhappy with what the company was proposing, and, uh, and so they were getting ready to strike as recently as Thursday morning. Things changed drastically after that, though, with the company, ULA, doubling the proposed wage increases from the day before after they saw that the union was getting ready to strike. <laughs> so uh, we love seeing that. The Valley Labor Report has been giving a given a first-hand look at the summary of the last best and final offer from the company, which includes a $6,000 ratification bonus, increased minimum and maximum wages, the new maximum wage is $55 an hour. The new progression rates are 25 cents a quarter, a dollar a year, and They have general wage increases of 4%, 3.5%, and 3% over the duration of the three-year contract. So the first year, they get a general wage increase of 4% on top of their dollar-a-year progression, and then the second year, 3.5%, and then the third year, 3%. On top of that, they are getting an increased 401k match from 60 percent in the last contract to 70 percent in this contract and they are getting a four thousand dollar supplement in the first year to their 401k a 1.4 thousand dollar supplement in the second year and a war thousand dollar supplement in the third year so uh uh, also no concessions on health care costs. They got two extra vacation days. Um, so So yeah, uh, David, the president, David Story, president of Machinist Union Local Lodge 44, told me that people are uh, pretty happy with the summary gen- uh, generally speaking. So he uh, so, so we'll see, I think the expectation is that it is ratified. And the union will be holding meetings next week to discuss the contract. And they will vote on May the 1st, whether or not to accept it.
0: That's kind of cool that their vote is on May Day of all days. That is kind
2: of cool. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. yeah, shout out to the machinist out there. Way to go and being prepared and uh, really just wishing for for much success hopefully this will this will close things up in a positive way and the members will get what they need and uh you know appreciate david and and everybody else on that negotiating team and everyone who's been organizing there i know it's been a ton of work so You know, but your hard work appears to be paying off.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is the first contract that the negotiating committee has recommended since 2008. (laughs) That means in every negotiation since 2008, the negotiating committee has come back to the membership and said, this is bunk. We don't recommend you voting this. And this time the negotiating committee is recommending that the membership ratify the tentative agreement. So we'll see we'll see what they do uh we'll be supporting them here on the valley labor report either way and this is the i mean this is the benefit of a union folks right here they had an elected committee of rank and file workers of people that work alongside each other go down to i believe they negotiated in florida and they spent a week hammering out a contract with their bosses um Pushing back on some things, accepting other things, having their own proposals—that's uh, not something that you can do without a union. Without a union, you are given a contract and told take it or leave it. Basically. If you even
0: have a contract,
2: if you even have a contract, yeah, you're yeah. yeah and, it may and, just
0: be all nebulous uh, right. and shift day by day.
2: And even if you have a contract, it's subject to change at the employer's will. This is a three-year contract, uh, and meaning that the employer, once the membership ratifies it and this contract is signed, the employer cannot unilaterally change it. If they want to change something during the contract, they have to approach the workers and say, look, we want to we want to open up this article of the contract, and we want to renegotiate some things. Maybe you know uh, uh, they have to do that. Even if you have a contract without a union, your boss doesn't have to do that. Your boss can just cut. Literally, your boss can come in and say the next day, "Oh, you are making twenty dollars an hour." Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really sound right. Uh, that doesn't sound right to me. Let's go to uh, seventeen. And um, and if you don't but, like it, you can leave. But here's a pizza party.
0: Here's a raffle. Here's a raffle. <laughs> here's a yeah. raffle. And uh, if you work extra extra hard, you may just win the raffle and get a bag of chips.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ooh boy, that's crazy.
0: So I, you know, I don't think it's a stretch to say that because the machinists have been very organized and because they are prepared to go on strike, should things not go well. Yes. Did that benefit yeah, them well, in the negotiation?
2: I mean, it it definitely benefited because during negotiations, I mean literally after they put up their picket line shifts, the proposed general wage increases doubled. The company was proposing prior to that only two percent general wage increases. And after the picket line shifts were up uh, it doubled to 4% in the first year. So
0: Another good reminder that direct action gets the goods. In this case, just a yep. uh, credible threat of yep. direct action was enough. And so, again, uh, just send love and solidarity to all our machinist brothers and sisters for the good work they're doing and the hard work they're doing.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, last week, we spoke to Tim James. Tim James is running for governor of the great state of Alabama. We spoke to him last week and played a portion of the interview on the show. The full interview will be airing tomorrow, where you will hear him refuse to say whether he thought America was worse when it had Jim Crow or slavery than it is now when uh, the gays are allowed to walk around freely. So that was, that was fun. Uh, we were not able to get to his positions on marijuana He wants to pull us back to where not only can folks be locked in a cage for recreational use, but also for medicinal use. That's great. Or on gay marriage, he wants to end it. Also great. We love it. No problems there. I just want
0: to be clear here that Jacob is being sarcastic. Obviously, Uh, I know sometimes that doesn't (laughs) always translate across the the airwaves. Um, Yeah, it was uh, pretty insane.
2: Yeah, hot take. It is bad to uh, lock people in cages for smoking dope. That's bad. That is a bad thing that we do as society. Uh, And it would also be bad to uh, go back to a place where gay folks don't have the same marriage rights and the benefits that go along with that that straight folks do. That would be bad. That would be a bad place to go. And that is where Dim James wants to keep us, uh, wants to take us. However... On the section of the program that we, um, that we aired, he said he pledged to support the coal miners that are on strike in Brookwood, which is unironically good. That is no sarcasm there. That's good. He said that he would fight to end the injunction and immediately stop the use of state troopers to escort scabs. Unlike the first things, this this is good. This is very good stuff from Tim James. Even now, a broken
0: clock is right twice yes, a day. Yes,
2: broken clocks twice a day, all that good stuff. However, after the show, actually during the show in overtime, which you can listen to if you're on the radio, uh, you can find us online and you can continue listening to us. We go for a full hour and a half after we get off the radio. We continue with the show. So you should find us online on YouTube or Facebook and keep on watching us. But after the show, we got a call from a listener indicator, Joe Marshall, and we talked to him. Uh, I talked to him further after the call. I talked to some other folks as well who uh, these people talked to us about what Fob James, who is Tim James' daddy, did in 1980. To striking paper mill workers in Cortland, Alabama. So let's first establish that it's relevant, right? Tim James has never held office. He's never been elected to anything. So when he is talking about his record, what do we have to go on? We have to go on his public statements. We can look to his public statements, we can look to what he's done in business, and we can look to his connections. That's all we have to go on. He does not have a public service record that we can point to. So when he says things, we have to take the sum of all of these things. We have to take into account his connections, his public statements, and what he's done with his business. That's all that we can look at. And... Let's frankly be real. It's not his business and it's not his policy positions that is giving him a fighting chance at being governor. It's because his daddy was governor. And, you know, I mean, look, he can't control that his daddy was governor. But let's not be coy. That's why. I mean, frankly, that's why he has his business. Right. I mean, that's, you know. That's why he has his business. That's why he has everything that he has is because his daddy was governor. That's why he knows the people that he knows. That's why he has the connections to where he's able to raise money. That's his whole life because his daddy was governor. So Tim James' daddy, Fob James, he was Republican through to 1978 when he ran as a Democrat and won the gubernatorial race which put him in office during 1980, which is when the Cortland, Alabama, paper mill strike happened. The mill workers went out on strike mainly over wages. The company was only offering an 8% raise in a year with an inflation rate of 13.5%. Whew, we think inflation is bad now. Can you imagine a 13.5% inflation rate? That would not be fun i would not enjoy that um the strike lasted for nine weeks and over the course of the strike just like our sisters and brothers in brookwood they had a restrictive injunction placed on them limiting the number of folks who could pick it According to news reports from the time that our internet sleuth David story was able to dig off, dig up, uh, which is which is really amazing. Like he sent me these archive articles of what happened, uh, of, of coverage of the strike, which is really cool. Um, according to news reports from the time, the injunction was placed. The injunction that limited the picket line to three, and then to two people at once was because some rocks were thrown. Oh. Oh, no! Oh, no! no! Rocks were thrown! My God! What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There were some rocks thrown. I mean, get a freaking grip, you crybabies. After a long time on strike, the workers decided to... uh, to, to violate the injunction and do a mass picket in front of the gate of the plant, bringing out hundreds of mill workers, their family and their supporters from the community to bring the company back to the table. Because during the course of the strike, the company was refusing to negotiate instead of supporting the Alabama workers who were just trying not to get a pay cut, Tim James's daddy Governor Fob James sicked the state troopers on them, sending over a hundred to the picket line, including a helicopter, to antagonize and arrest dozens of striking workers, despite the fact that they had not injured anybody. There was no accusations of anybody being actually injured during any physical disputes on the picket line, during any of the rock throwing. None of that. None of that happened, and Governor Fobb James saw fit to send over 100 state troopers to try to break up a strike, including a helicopter. Ultimately, this was successful as the mass picket deflated, but their message had been sent to the company, and they were able to bring them back to the table. Unfortunately, though, the paper mill workers were not able to beat inflation and ended up accepting the 8% offered in the first place. Um, I mean, just imagine what could have happened if the governor of Alabama had stood on the side of Alabama workers instead of a Yankee company. Instead of a company based in Connecticut, They might could have beaten inflation. They might could have at least not taken a pay cut.
0: And, you know, they would have spent that money right there in their community. Right. Their schools would have benefited. The local businesses would have benefited. The county and city governments in the area would have benefited. It it really, it would have been a way to improve Alabama from the bottom up. But time and time again... Those in charge, those who are the political establishment of this state, see fit to always side with the bosses, side with, as you said, Yankee capitalists, uh, multinational capitalists, these corporations. They side with them as opposed to the everyday people who live in this state, who work in this state, who, you know, who raise kids here in this state. It's, It's a shame, really. And I think it's important, though, that we bring this history up. To show where the state of Alabama uh, will use its force, you know, whether it's 1980 mm-hmm. or 2022.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, look. Uh, seriously, though, that Adam is exactly right. That that money that the Yankee capitalists would have been paying the people to try to keep up with inflation would have been spent in Cortland. Instead, it went to bosses in Connecticut. And that is what Fob James, who is again Tim James's daddy, that's what he supported. Violently. Violently supported. Uh, on a brighter note though, in the next contract, the company did not, uh, the company only asked for one concession in the contract um, and the union said no and they took it back uh, and they so there were no concessions in that contract because basically the company said, you know, Joe has told us before on the show that the company said, y'all showed your manhood last time. Um, and so we're we're not going to ask for for any concessions this time. We just want a contract and we want to keep everybody at work. And so that's what they did. Um, so that's good. But, uh, you know, this is what Fob James did when he was governor in Alabama as a Democrat in 1980. And when he was a Democrat, he was like. More liberal than when he was a Republican because he later ran again and he was governor again from 95 to 99 as a Republican. And he was much more conservative when he was a Republican. And so this is this is like liberal Tim James or liberal Fob James sicking state troopers and helicopters on striking Cortland, Alabama workers. And and it's so it's relevant because of his connection to Fob James, who is his daddy, Tim James, his daddy. It's also relevant because we reached out to Tim James's team for comment on this a, a few days ago, like multiple days ago. It was like Wednesday or Thursday morning that I sent an email to his communications director asking for comment on this, um, a- asking if he had, you know, if he agreed with with his daddy about what he did to these workers, um, and and they have not responded to a request for comment. So. I don't know if, like, I hurt their feelings last week when we talked to them. I thought I was very cordial. I thought we disagreed, and I was not. I didn't play coy about some of my disagreements, but I felt like I was respectful. Uh, so I don't know why he wouldn't tell me why they wouldn't tell me what they thought about this. But so on top of just the connection, there is Tim James's Tim James's refusal to comment on what his daddy did when he was governor.
0: Which, that is worrying. Yeah, and, and I think it's important that you brought this context up because, yes, he said some good things about the UMWA strike in Brookwood and what he would do if he were elected. But here we have a direct parallel. Yeah. A direct parallel. I mean, a, a strike with an injunction, a company that is obstinate and doesn't want to come back to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we see how his father responded. So – you know, it, talk is cheap. Yep. Talk is cheap. And, and this is a legacy of not just Fob James, but a long line of Alabama leadership of treating our mm. state mm-hmm. as like a col- as a, an eternal colony of the U.S. Yep. We are here for cheap labor, uh, less cheap educated labor,
2: labor. Yankee capitalists.
0: With a hostile environment for organizing and for unionism. So that's, you know, the way that we have been used in this state. And it's a shame that so many leaders from Bob James down to Kay Ivey are are eager to sell us out to corporations. So,
2: so Tim James, if you if you just, you know, look, sometimes I I am very bad about not getting to emails. So if you or your communications director are listening to this. Or somebody that supports Tim James is listening to this. Get their campaign to comment. And if you have a comment on this, if you would say, if 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 you have a comment, I'll I'll tell it next week. I'll tweet it out, and I'll tell it next week. I'm not trying to. I, I'm not interested in in frankly this this gubernatorial election. I don't know that that one way or another it's going to be much. But I liked what he said. Uh, he said very good things about the coal miner strike, and so his comment on this matter is very relevant because that's frankly like the only good thing that he said during the interview so uh we need to know where he stands on this uh if we want if we are if he wants us to take his commitment to the coal miners in brookwood seriously we need to know what he thinks about this and that's not too much to ask that's not too much to ask at all uh so We've had a great show so far, talking to Daniel about privatizing the VA, doing a little bit of local labor history, if you've missed any of it. We're on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to the full show there, or you can catch clips that might interest you. Just search for The Valley Labor Report on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about nursing home unions and running through last week in southern labor. So stay tuned you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and they secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org.
1: There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW 558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members received the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW 558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org.
2: The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 Nine three three three. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or Alabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a proud sponsor of the Valley Labor Report, and we're here to help keep you in the loop on the assault on your right to protest, picket, and peaceably assemble in Alabama. The anti-protest bill is back this year, and it's as bad as ever. There is huge interest in building worker power and increasing unionization in Alabama that has corporations scared. Don't let their influence on our state legislators become another tool to arrest striking workers and union supporters. This racist bill is especially problematic for black organizers and unnecessarily gives law enforcement broad discretion to define even small peaceful gatherings as a riot. Tell your Alabama legislators to say no to House Bill 2. We've set up an easy way for you to do that. You can go to hmtn.link slash hb2 where you'll find more information and an email template you can use right from your smartphone. That link is hmtn.link slash HB2. You'll also find more info on social media at Hometown Action.
1: Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO.
2: Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Alabama's only! Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison and my co host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, give us a call. Our phone line is open. The phone number is eight four four eight nine nine 899 TVLR. That is 844 899 8857. You can leave us a voicemail throughout the week and we might play it on the next show. And, hey, here's a request for the audience while we're still on the radio. Um, I have been trying to get in touch with Phil Williams and Brian Dawson. Phil Williams is an afternoon host, a weekday afternoon host on WVNN, a conservative radio station. And um, he has... A recurring segment that is made specifically to piss me off, I think, uh, called Union Do's or Union Blues. Oh. Her, her, her. Where, (laughs) I mean, it's just, oh, wow, it's Fascinating. Um, Wonder how
0: much Koch brother money uh, it took to come up with that. Right. Yeah. Probably
2: thousands of dollars. Um, and so he's said multiple things that are either like really stupid, just flat out wrong, or um, uh, you know, lacking context. Just just really really dumb, really really dumb things. And so I've tried to get him on the radio. Uh, I've emailed him a couple times over the last couple weeks. I've tagged him on Twitter. Um, and he hasn't responded to me. And I don't know if he thinks, like, that we're not big enough or something, which would be really funny, because he was bragging about how many people listen to him online. And um, and we're not, like, a particularly large... We don't have, like, a particularly large online audience. Um, but... <laughs> we have literally a conservative estimate is five times more people listen to us online than his show which is hilarious because like you said Adam his show is backed by basically um, basically unlimited Koch brother money from the allegedly. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. allegedly, no, no 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 it's not allegedly it's not allegedly I looked it up the Koch brothers are a confirmed donor to the alabama policy institute like that's a that oh is sure yeah
0: absolutely the alabama policy institute uh, and right
2: side radio is owned
0: oh, by wow the
2: alabama policy institute i believe isn't
0: that something
2: i believe i'm pretty sure that's right um uh, i think it's right but, may... but whatever he's he's anyway you know so
0: I was going to say, listeners may not be surprised to hear that there are no billionaires uh, and oligarchs who are willing to give us money. Yeah, not that that not that we want it, uh, but uh, we haven't heard from them.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that would be really funny if that's the reason that he's not replying to us. Because, like I said, not a large. We don't have a huge audience, but conservative estimate is five times more people listen to us online than him, based on the numbers that he was bragging about last week. Um, alternatively, it could just be that he is a a tiny, tiny baby and is scared and doesn't like to talk to people who disagree with him. That's another possibility. So uh, anyway, we wanted to get him on the show, talk to him about that. Um, his email is phil at org or info at rightsideradio.org. If you want to, if you would be interested in our conversation, um, you should let him know or call into his show two to five weekdays on WVNN and let him know that you're interested in that conversation. Um, And also Brian Dawson, who is the president and CEO of 1819 News, which advertises, which is another entity that's owned by the Alabama Policy Institute. And I checked that. It is owned by the Alabama Policy Institute, eighteen nineteen news. And um and they, you know, advertise themselves as like, oh, we're like we're a real news. We take out the fluff and and whatever and we just bring you the straight dope and and our editorials are separate from our news and all this stuff. And and um that was fascinating to me because in their interview with the uh pro military coup flat earth gubernatorial candidate Dean Odell They did not mention those things. They just talked to him like he was a normal guy. Like, this, like, they spent an hour talking to this lunatic like he was a normal person. I mean, props to Dale Jackson, at least, for when he talked to Dean Odell, he just treated him like a loon and laughed him off the air, which is like, you know, I don't often say props to Dale Jackson, but. Props to Dale Jackson, because, like, I mean, seriously, this guy, he spent, Brian Dawson spent an hour, an hour on his podcast as the president and CEO of 1819 News talking to a flat earther, a flat earther, and a guy who says on his website where he's running for governor that we need a military coup. Wow. And they didn't mention it. They did not mention it, but this is totally a totally serious news organization that is just giving you the straight dope and is like just super normal and has really, really rigorous journalistic integrity. Clearly. Super normal. Super normal. So if you're interested in hearing a conversation between me and Brian Dawson, then you should let them know, too. You can – let's see. Let me pull up their email. Um, it is – oh, I emailed him, too. It was I only emailed him a couple days ago, though, so we can give maybe a little bit more um, – a, a, a little bit he more – He could leeway. be
0: in his bunker preparing for the military <laughs> coup uh, oh, led by the crazy person he interviewed.
2: Jesus, dude. It's crazy. Brian.Dawson at 1819news.com. Brian B-R Y A N dot Dawson D A W S O N at 1819 News dot com. Um because I'm interested in seeing how he justifies not asking the pro military coup flat earth gubernatorial candidate about his pro military coup flat earth views. That would be an interesting thing to know. Um so We've got – I have a lot prepared, a long segment prepared on the Associated Builders and Contractors, um, which is a non-union construction council of bosses that that has endorsed Katie Britt for U.S. Senate. Unfortunately, we are running out of time on the radio, so – you're gonna have to. Uh, you're gonna have to f- follow us online if you want to see that. I've got some really good information. Really good segment on the Associated Builders and Contractors because it is a seriously, seriously vile group, and Katie Britt is proud to have their endorsement. Um, and 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 basically, basically though, their whole shtick is. We want to cut wages for construction workers. <laughs> that's like the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's it. There's nothing else. Well, we want to cut wages and and decrease safety standards. Right. Cut regulations cut at the regulations. same time. That's their whole shtick. What like could go wrong. It. Yeah, what could go wrong. Um, so we're going to talk some more about that in overtime. In overtime. But uh, we're going to go out on um, – on the radio uh, uh, with this with a small bit about nursing home unions Uh, last week we talked about uh, we talked about how um, sometimes unions workers having some amount of control over their workplace Sometimes this is cited as a cause for decline in product quality. Sometimes this is cited as a cause for decline in product quality. Of course, it's untrue and it's silly, but it's an accusation that's out there. So we talk about it, folks. We talk about it. And yet another piece of evidence came out last week debunking this idea. Research came out in the Health Affairs Journal last week showing that union nursing homes had a 10% lower COVID mortality rate for patients and a 6% lower COVID infection rate for workers. Why? They say nursing home worker infection rates and resident mortality rates have been linked to nursing home staff being employed in multiple facilities and lacking access to paid sick leave and personal protective equipment. Union nursing home workers are less likely to work second jobs because they get paid well. Union nursing home workers have better access to sick leave. Union nursing home workers have better access to COVID testing. And union nursing home workers have better access to PPE. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to Josh Brewer, staff representative of the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union, with a nursing home worker in the South. And I'm excited to hear what they say about this. But during the pandemic, unions literally saved lives. Nursing homes were the center of COVID deaths in this country, and unions saved lives. That's right. Over 10,000 people were saved. They had their lives saved by unions, by unions protecting the people that they care. They were able to, therefore... What that means is they increased the quality of the product of the service they were providing, contrary to what weird libertarian debate bros are going to tell you. They increased the quality of service that they were able to provide, the safety that they were able to give their residents because they were protected in the workplace. They saved lives. So that's a very important story. As we're wrapping up here on the radio, we've got a few minutes left. We're going to do a couple of plugs. Tomorrow, Sunday, April 24th, from 1 p.m. to 8.30, join Spice Radio, Blues to Bluegrass, and the North Alabama School for Organizers as they raise money for the free automotive clinic there's great music all afternoon. There's a raffle drawing and, of course, great food and brews at Stove House. Uh, live streaming will be done by Spice Radio in Huntsville. The United Women of Color have a virtual meet and greet with Dr. Edwin Bridges on Tuesday, April 26th. From 6 to 7.30, Dr. Bridges discusses his book, Alabama, The Making of an American State. He served as the Alabama Department of Archives and History Director for 30 years, and he was co-author of... Georgia's Signers and the Declaration of Independence. The League of Women Voters have an environmental education series, The Climate Crisis in Alabama, Impacts and Renewable Energy Solutions. On Tuesday, May the 3rd at 6.30, they'll be joined by Scott Duncan and Daniel Tate to review the causes of climate change and how we can fix it. Friend of the show, Maximilian Alvarez, has started yet another project, The Art of Class War, which will be a regular segment that he will do for Breaking Points with Crystal and Sauger on YouTube. The early bird registration registration deadline for Labor Notes conference is May the 1st. The conference is 7, June 17 to 19 in Chicago. You can leave us a voicemail on 844-899-TVLR. Today's the last day to place your order and get your hats soonest. Place that. Place your order for the hats. Give us money at TVLR.FM. And that is it. For our time on the radio, if you find us online, you can stay tuned for Overtime. We are talking to the host of the United States' only daily union talk radio show, Ed Flash Ferenc of Ohio. And uh, that's going to be it. That's going to be it for us on the radio. All power to the workers.
1: You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.